0: and welcome to No Planet B, a podcast where we're talking about climate change and its effects on planet A. I'm Wyatt.
1: And I'm Brianna. This week we're going to be talking about greenhouse gases. Ah, hell yeah. And maybe some elephants.
0: And maybe a ton of elephants. Um, we interviewed Dr. Katie Sparrow of FSU, who studies uh, chemical oceanography, isotope biogeochemistry. Um, she did a lot of work with uh, groundwater methane in the Arctic. And uh, yeah, so she talked to us about greenhouse gases. It was actually really interesting cuz she uh, contacted us through our Instagram. Um so if uh if y'all ever want to be interviewed or or know anyone who does, you can always hit up our Instagram. Um but yeah, so good interview. It's going to be here in like in like maybe 4 or 5 seconds. We'll jump right into the interview. Brie, do you have anything left to say before we go into it? Um <laughs> Just say anything and I'll edit it in like you said it right away. Got you. Get a clean take.
1: Welcome to the Thunderdome.
0: Can I get another one just for posterity?
1: (laughs) Welcome to the Thunderdome. Okay,
0: good. Yeah, here we go.
1: (laughs) All right. So if you could just give us a brief explanation about What exactly are greenhouse gases?
2: Mm. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, Greenhouse gases are trace gases in the atmosphere, so they compose a very small percentage of the gases in the atmosphere. So what greenhouse gases do is they absorb some of the heat that is escaping from Earth's surface and going back out to space. And they reflect it back down to earth. So it just it'll eventually that heat energy will eventually leave earth's system, but what the greenhouse gases do is they hug that heat close to earth's surface and delay the heat leaving earth immediately.
1: Okay, so is that kind of essentially the greenhouse effect or um is that more of like a definition of greenhouse gases? So, yeah, to describe
2: greenhouse gases, yeah, mm-hmm. is to um, describe the greenhouse effect. Okay. Basically, yeah. So greenhouse gases produce was has been called the greenhouse effect.
0: There was... Do you ever, have you ever watched Futurama? No. Okay. There, there's an episode where um, they played a little infographic, and it was a ray from the sun as, like, a businessman going to Earth, and then um, when trying to leave Earth got attacked by greenhouse gases, which were, like, just a bunch of people, like, beating him up. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I brought that up, but I guess I want yeah, to... Yeah,
2: that's, that's actually... <laughs> that's very science-based. Okay. I want you to know that. So something that's important to know that you don't learn until you're in, like, a climatology class mm-hmm. or an atmospheric chemistry class is that... Yeah, it, the greenhouse gases aren't absorbing sunlight, which is what I think a lot of people might think if they were, you know, starting to think about greenhouse gases. But it's actually, the sunlight passes right through greenhouse gases. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's visible light. And what's reflected by Earth after it absorbs the sun's heat is called long wave radiation. It's uh, infrared. And greenhouse gases absorb infrared radiation. And so that's how they keep the heat close to Earth.
0: Okay. Very cool. So that's how the greenhouse gases beat the UV rays ass. UV, you said? Light <laughs> They're radiation? They're never
2: in competition. Oh, okay. Unfortunately. <laughs> but it is true that like when it was trying to leave, it mm. got stopped. Yes. And that's the gr- what the greenhouse gases do. Oh, hell yeah. Without greenhouse gases, our planet would be... Um, much colder and not habitable by humans.
3: Mm.
0: That's a really good point to bring up. Yes, that's really helpful in like understanding what they do and how like too many of them is the problem, not them at all. I feel like that could be a point of misunderstanding.
2: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. We, yeah, all in moderation. Mm-hmm. More than less is kind of what the big issue
1: is. Um, but that being said, is one greenhouse gas worse? than others? Could you kind of talk about, like, the differences between certain ones and, like, which ones are better, which
2: ones are worse? Well, as we just reviewed, greenhouse gases are good, and they allow life as it is to exist on Earth. Mm -hmm. Um, But some are more potent than others. Um, But it's kind of a complex story. Um, So... I guess three gases that I could talk about are CO2, carbon dioxide, mm-hmm. methane, and nitrous oxide. Water vapor is the number one greenhouse gas, number one most abundant. But it gets, like, not any cred for that in mm-hmm. general public. But water vapor is a strong infrared absorber in greenhouse gas. But excluding water vapor, um, CO2 is most abundant. After that, methane, and then nitrous oxide is the least. But in terms of potency, nitrous oxide is far and away, much stronger greenhouse gas than methane is, and in turn, methane is stronger greenhouse gas than CO2. But as far as uh, climate warming, CO2 is the main gas responsible for, you know, human-caused climate change after that methane after that nitrous oxide
1: right so i guess it's not so much like what the gases are but how much people are like contributing to them
2: like kind of yes it's
1: not a natural amount is in the
2: atmosphere right now yes it's like well it's like there's two parts to the equation it's how mm-hmm. abundant is it and how strong of a greenhouse gas is okay,
1: so it okay so we should get rid of the bad stigma like
2: yeah um for sure um yeah, greenhouse gases enable life on Earth. Mm-hmm. But as humans, we have increased the amount of greenhouse gases to unnatural levels, mm-hmm. and it is causing the a great mass extinction currently.
0: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um. So this one's going to be vague, but hopefully it's purposefully vague and you can answer this in a way that is important to you. Mm. Um, where do greenhouse gases come from?
2: So greenhouse gases have both natural and unnatural human sources. So that's true for all the greenhouse gases that I can think of. But natural sources, I guess I'll start with those. Um, you know, carbon is constantly cycling through different earth reservoirs. So, um, carbonism emitted and absorbed from land, from ocean into the atmosphere. It's just like, these. Mul- it's a systems thinking. As for CO2 and methane, they're both carbon species. Um, they're created by microbes, they're consumed by microbes. So, they're emitted by plants or consumed by plants. Mm-hmm. These are all natural processes. Like if we think about methane, for example, human sources of methane now um, are outweigh the natural sources of methane. So we are stronger emitters of methane than the natural landscape. And CO two is more complex to talk about, but the m- main thing with CO two is that by burning fossil fuels, we are emitting tons of CO2. So the the hydrocarbons in gasoline, for example, once oxidized in a engine that's adding oxygen to that carbon, make CO2, that's what's emitted from your tailpipe, from your smokestack, just pumping it in. And the fossil fuel industry has known... For a really long time. That they're creating CO2. And emitting it into the atmosphere. Or by burning coal. It was the same story. Um, And it's been accumulating. In the atmosphere. Since the industrial revolution. But. Not at an even rate. In my lifetime. So since 1990. We have emitted. More fossil fuels. um, Fossil fuel produced CO2. Than. All of the years before that in human civilization—that
0: is way too wild for me. <laughs> um, and so we mentioned methane. Where I probably should have asked earlier: mm-hmm. where does where's the where's a big source of methane mm-hmm. that comes from humans?
2: Mm-hmm. I'll talk about a few. Um, so <laughs> cool. Methane is my favorite greenhouse gas. <laughs> okay, cool. Yes. Yeah, so, so my PhD work was with methane.
0: Yeah, in, in Arctic ice, right?
2: The Arctic uh, Ocean. Gotcha. Yes. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, So natural sources of methane, I'll just give you a complete answer, are um, wetlands. And that's a, what else? Wetlands, rice paddies are a human equivalent. So when you take soil and use some, like, Make it waterlogged, you're forcing out the oxygen. And so, microbes that want to consume carbon in the soil, they start to use other pathways to consume that. They usually need oxygen, but if they can't use oxygen, then they start down this whole pathway that doesn't use oxygen. And one of the things that is produced by that is methane. So, if you have a waterlogged environment, Um, You're going to smell sulfur. Methane is an odorless gas. Yeah, People do not understand that. (laughs) That is unfortunate. (laughs) It's actually sulfur that's responsible for that smell. But where sulfur is found, methane is found generally because of that pathway. Lack of oxygen, using sulfur, methane.
0: Gotcha. Cool.
2: Um, So wetlands and then in... From a human source, that would be like rice paddies, rice agriculture, where you're flooding the land and um, producing methane in those soils. Mm -hmm. Um, Then the natural gas industry. People talk about natural gas like it's a better alternative. Natural gas is methane Mm. gas. So when you have a deposit of oil in the Earth's interior... You also have a layer of gas on top of that liquid and all that gas is methane. And other okay. hydrocarbons, mainly methane. Yeah, okay. And by producing natural gas for humans to use, a lot of methane is vented into the atmosphere.
0: hmm So is that with fracking? Is that like fugitive methane?
2: So fugitive methane is methane leaks. Okay. Kind of that aren't really well quantified. I think that's generally what, what is meant by fugitive methane. Okay. When natural gas is used by humans, it's actually burnt, oxidized, and that produces CO2. But in the process of getting all that natural gas together, a lot is leaked. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, so the natural gas industry and fossil fuel industry in general, um, yeah, those are big. Those are the big sources.
0: Wow. Very nice. Very good answer to a really vague question. Uh, this is pretty related. Um,
2: I can make it more <laughs> uh, concise, too, <laughs> if you want, like, short answers. Oh, that's,
0: that was perfect. Um, so there's a wonderful podcast called Beef and Dairy Network, mm. and they...
2: Oh, I forgot about livestock. I'm so sorry. I knew that there was <laughs> okay, more.
3: Yeah.
2: That's can where, I talk that's about going, that? For sure. Absolutely. Like I knew I was missing something. Um by so, this is a double whammy actually, which is fun to talk about. But by slashing forests all across the world to make them into land for agriculture for the raising of livestock mainly cattle we are both taking out a CO2 reducer, so, um, trees inhale carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Mm. Is good. Yeah. Because we're producing a lot of CO2 and emitting it to the atmosphere. But by slashing, cutting down the trees, deforesting the landscape, putting cows there, feeding the cows an unnatural diet of mm. corn and soy, where they emit even more methane than they would if they were just living their normal, natural life. So it's both increasing. The amount of CO two in the atmosphere um, by leaving it there, not having it yeah. inhaled by the plants, and then producing yeah, cows produce a lot of methane in the especially in the industrial agriculture mm. manner in which m- the majority of cows on Earth are raised. Okay, currently,
0: so we're we're increasing mm. the the sheer number of cows and then oh. that's in turn increasing methane massively Mass-
2: again over my lifetime the amount of cows raised for agriculture um has increased dramatically oh yeah
1: yeah i don't know i don't know if it's just me but i feel like everywhere i go like every entree is like so full of meat also what i was going to ask this is just like a personal question um you say cows emit a lot of methane do like pigs and chickens like also contribute
2: just as like as much or comparably at all no their body types are totally different Okay, so, so it's just cows cows digest their food through a process called enteric fermentation they have a bunch of stomachs they're made to eat grass right and they recycle that like they chew on it for a long time basically their whole body the digestion process is large long and it um yeah, methane is a uh, Natural product from that, mm. and then the diet they are fed amplifies that amount of methane, and it's yeah much more than what pigs or um, other animals that are not um, built the same as cows.
1: The more you know about cow stomachs, right?
2: <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> well, that's that's actually like really cool. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um. So. All the greenhouse gases that we're emitting with all our ways, do you have any um, suggestions for ways humanity could reduce our greenhouse gas emissions? Definitely. What are some, like,
2: you know, (laughs) pointers you would give us? (laughs) So, yeah, our whole society um, is led by currently by the youth movement active today in 2019 is so inspiring. Uh, I think that we are headed towards like a great um, s- shift mm-hmm. in the way that we do things if society is ready to embrace it. But I think people power is very powerful and it can be more powerful than all of the like the big giants of you know big ag big coal and big oil. That's the question we have here because we need to transition our lifestyles and our economies away from fossil fuels. Yeah. That's the big picture. It's also a lifestyle choices that you can make um, in line with that, like basically making the decisions for yourself. You can opt out of big agriculture by shopping locally and by not eating meat. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can, a huge thing that I don't think is talked about enough is reducing air travel For those of us who are able to fly on planes whenever we want, reconsidering and saying jet fuel and the amount of energy it takes to lift off of the ground in a huge plane, jumbo jet, is immense. And it's a huge source of carbon into our atmosphere, a huge source of greenhouse gases. Mm -hmm. That's something that I wrestle with personally because as a climate scientist you're always you know asked to travel for field work for conferences to present your work mm-hmm. it presents a dilemma
0: with that have have scientists ever been invited to a conference and their response is like kind of just skype call in to not fly to avoid flying
2: yeah i've started to see it at meetings more recently or Conferences are called meetings often, mm-hmm. even though there's like fifty thousand people swarming into a place. It's not exactly a simple meeting, yeah, but they've started to have sessions, yeah, I forget what they call them, but it is like the keynote speaker for like a huge auditorium can be on a computer somewhere where that. they live, and it's something that, for example, the American Geophysical Union, which holds this huge meeting for Earth scientists uh every December. Hmm. I started to embrace very much. That's very cool. We are sp- supposed to be practicing what we're preaching. Yeah.
0: So. As a as a computer homebody, I'd love to hear that. That's really fun. Yeah. Um, but there's so like not not flying is definitely an option. Are there any alternative like fuels for jets that are being developed, or any other strategies that include flying?
2: No, I haven't heard um, about. Um, alternative jet fuels mm. actually um it's even difficult for example um they're developing like Tesla's developing tractor trailers um that are electric you know like an electric like a Tesla but like a um tractor trailer version i think yeah. it's already like coming onto the market um which is really impressive but it's like the amount of batteries is so heavy it's like a technology problem. Okay. Uh, basically oh. traveling less and, not, and dialing back from the global, fast-paced world we live in, which is very difficult. But if it means the survival of humans, then those are things that we need to be considering now. What are
1: your thoughts on like the potential high-speed rail thing across the nation. Absolutely. So, Um, yeah, that would be an alternative, but it's just not ready to, like, get started yet.
2: Yeah. Um, Something that's really interesting to keep in mind is that the way our society is is just, you know, one roll of the dice. It wasn't Mm -hmm. gravity, like, why we have a highway network, like, stretching across, and that personal car was made the thing that was very much in the desires of the autom- the early automobile industry. Yeah. They got the national government to build all of the roads that would make the personal car a desirable thing rather than making expanding rail lines and expanding infrastructure for trains. So, it was all just, you know, in the interest of Certain people's profit margins. So, why we have the system that we do. So, um, thinking now from the standpoint of we know we're emitting all these greenhouse gases into the atmosphere, that we need to reduce the amount of CO2 that we're emitting, we need to look at high speed uh, energy that is renewable to power our lives.
1: Yeah, I'm also really interested just to see, like, how... Because you're right, like, if they monetize a high-speed rail system, you know, like, it's just going to entirely change, like, our roadways and everything. Like, Mm -hmm. it'd be interesting to see if it ever...
2: It's not a simple task. It's not like we're upset, we, the young people Mm -hmm. who want change it's not like we don't think it's a simple solution like it does require an overhaul of the whole system but we need to go forward like with all engines burning but not <laughs> 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 not uh gasoline engines but noble energy <laughs> keep it in the ground
0: <laughs> so we have a couple of we'll like describe the context of an interview to people who listen and see if they have any questions. Here's one. Is dry shampoo detrimental to the atmosphere?
2: This is important. It's not a greenhouse gas question, but it's a trace gas question. So, again, a gas that takes up a small amount but is a potent thing. I think they're thinking about um, chlorofluorocarbons or CFCs. Okay. That used to be in aerosol sprays. Um. That's actually a great question because (laughs) it allows me to talk about the ozone layer and the success we had in repairing it based on science and the world coming together as a whole. Okay. So, no, I think using your dry shampoo is fine. Maybe just consider it from, like, a waste standpoint. Mm -hmm. You know, every product that we buy – as you know, can that be recycled I don't think so I don't think so so from that perspective <laughs> yeah, uh, just uh keep an eye on reducing and reusing the amount of materials um, that, that you consume but it no long uh, aerosol spray cans no longer contain chlorofluorocarbons mm-hmm. which were found in the seventies. Um, by some really kick-ass scientists Mm -hmm. at Irvine in California to be destroying the ozone layer, which is in the stratosphere. Mm. They actually found it out theoretically that the CFCs in refrigerants and spray cans were causing the ozone layer to deteriorate. Uh, without even making any observations. They That's bonkers. From a theoretical standpoint. I mean, the stratosphere is a very hard place to yeah. access, if you can imagine. It's um like roughly six miles above our heads. Okay. It's defined by just the density of gas. So the air just becomes less and less dense as you go up in the atmosphere. And the ozone layer is just... Uh, Altitude in the stra- which is in the stratosphere, at which there's the highest abundance of ozone, mm. relatively, and it was um, locked in this reaction with these free chlorine radicals, which were part of the CFC, and it was, um, it was killing the ozone layer. Yeah. But by phasing out CFCs in a worldwide effort. Um, the industry stopped producing CFCs and they used substitutes. In this whole, like, it was, they had a protocol and a treaty was signed by all the nations of, mm. in the UN. And they all stopped using them and used these other less harmful things instead. Very cool. And uh, the ozone layer is almost fully... Um, back to normal now.
0: That's so good to hear. Within my lifetime. That was yeah. signed in
2: 1989.
0: So that was a, a problem that was, a real problem that was discovered hypothetically or, or theoretically and then addressed.
2: It was theoretically um, determined. It was theoretically calculated and then it was observed and then it was acted upon yeah. at the policy level
0: badass yes that's very cool
2: and very similar things almost happen with climate change and global warming but were derailed by fossil fuel mm. industry yeah in the early 90s it sucks yeah that's
0: mm-hmm. that's very serious um however I have another question please Our farts gonna kill us <clears throat> and I'm sorry for this one I, am, I really am. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think it's a great question. Okay. Um, again, uh, the smelly aspect of farts is sulfur compounds, okay. mm-hmm. although there is methane in farts as well. From cows, potentially. We need to stop raising cows yeah. and need to stop feeding them soy and corn. Give them grass. Give them grass. And don't deforest the rainforest in order to mm. raise cows. Great.
0: Great. All good advice. All sound advice.
2: Um,
0: yeah, so this was a tweet from...
2: Ooh, um, so connected. <laughs>
0: that's, that's what we try to do. Um, we're totally, we're 100% on the grid. There's nowhere <laughs> the grid that you can't find us. Cool. Um, uh, so yeah, this is a, a wonderful podcast called Beef and Dairy Network. And they did tweet and said, uh, "People say that cows are bad for climate change. Oh yeah, not if you ride it to work. <laughs> How do you feel about that trade off? <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot cows. to impact. Cows.
2: If you rode your cow to work,
3: Mm-hmm.
2: have you ever <laughs> tried to get a cow to go <laughs> in a specific <laughs> direction? They're like cats. I haven't." They're, like, you know, not, like... uh, Big,
0: four-stomached cats. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: They're not about to, (laughs) follow your wishes. So good luck getting to work.
0: (laughs) I love that. I'm kind of sorting through my messages like a madman.
2: I have a comment.
0: Yes, please. This is our first comment. I love it. (laughs) Historical.
2: It's just something. So I was talking to the um, Environmental Service Program, which is a club mm-hmm. out here at FSU, mm-hmm. and um, I was thinking about how to explain that trace gases, like greenhouse gases, can still like be an important presence in the atmosphere.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, I so you, you've probably heard like the amount of CO two in the atmosphere is like four hundred parts per million. Yeah. Yeah, which sounds really small, right? It means that there's only 400 molecules per million molecules, Mm -hmm. which doesn't sound like a lot. But the reason why it's a big deal is because the atmosphere is such a massive entity.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: It weighs, like the atmosphere has a physical weight. The atmosphere weighs... (laughs) 5 times 10 to the 18 kilograms. Oh, geez. So the amount, if you think about the amount of carbon as CO2 that we've emitted to the atmosphere since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, roughly like we usually say 1750 AD, amounts to 2 times 10 to the 14 kilograms of CO2. And that probably doesn't mean anything because it's just a really large number. Yeah. Um, but I put it in terms of elephants.
0: Okay. Oh. I love that.
2: So we have emitted <laughs> 40 billion elephants worth <laughs> oh of carbon into the atmosphere in oh that time. God. Right? Like, doesn't that make it more real for her? need to think about yeah. like yeah. people have trouble thinking about gases because they can't see them but if you think about the actual weight that they carry because if you've taken any chemistry class you know that each element has a weight mm-hmm. including any element that has is a gas so i just think it's helpful mm-hmm. <sighs> 40 billion elephants they're marching around in the sky now some of those elephants have um, gone into the other Earth systems.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So the ocean or the biosphere has absorbed them, so like swimming elephants.-hmm mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a cool visual. But they're still there, and when CO2 enters the ocean, another thing happens that's not uh, the greenhouse effect, but it's ocean acidification, which is not good either, and it's killing. The coral reefs and um, undermining the entire ocean ecosystem because it affects phytoplankton as well
1: yeah, so I just think it's so cool it how sense. everything is so connected, yes, like you wouldn't think the ocean floor and the elephants <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being dumb, but um <laughs> like you yeah. I would never have imagined like if before I Studied environmental science that the atmosphere and the ocean were so connected like that's just wild. oh they're
2: intimately connected if you think about yeah like you know 70 percent of our planet mm-hmm. is ocean and anywhere there's an ocean you have the atmosphere connected right to it so it's a it's a tight link about half of the co2 that we have emitted has gone into the ocean brutal actually Half of it has gone into the forests or into the ocean.
0: Is there anything you want to recommend for listeners? Anything that they can do? Anything that they can read? Mm. Yes. Anything to show them? Oh, I love... I'm looking so...
2: (laughs) (laughs) This was... I didn't want to have this talk to ESP, the club on campus, without telling them something, you know, positive and, like, empowering to think about because the climate crisis that we are in can be very paralyzing and you can feel very alone, mm-hmm. um, helpless, which is not the way that this young generation of climate activists should feel. Yeah. So The number one thing that I think, and I've seen this recommended you know, by experts even, the best, one of the best things we can do is just to be talking about the climate crisis in our daily life. Heck no, yeah. with your friends, with your family, um,
0: maybe sh- maybe sharing podcasts.
2: Yes, even yes, <laughs> at your workplace. Yeah, sharing this podcast exactly. Even yes, yeah. absolutely. You guys are on this. I hope so. Method. Yes, because um, it's it's this it's very empowering um, and it's immediate. Right, you don't mm. have to even physically change anything. But just by talking about it, connecting with your values and how climate change is affecting how you think about the future, Mm -hmm. connecting it with your own personal values allows other people to connect it with theirs and why they should care. Heck yeah. Yes.
0: That's very good to hear.
2: And then making different lifestyle choices, you know, whether it be eating less meat, um, going carless, taking less air travel. Yeah. Those are empowering things. And being politically engaged is the last one, which is uh, Mm. uh, very important, you know? If your elected officials don't know that you care about the climate crisis, then they're not entitled to have to do anything about it. Yeah. So showing up for political action events.
0: Yeah. Listeners, I probably should have done this at the beginning. The listeners won't be able to see this unless we post a picture, but um, we are sitting in Katie's office right now, and Bree and Katie are sitting on big green bouncy balls Yo- yoga balls yoga balls oh.
2: exercise balls mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and we are looking at a powerpoint green balls. <laughs> <laughs> wow this has been a great one thank you so much for talking to us thank this you guys very fun i love this all right Hey, everyone welcome back how'd you like it that was our interview with Katie Sparrow I'm gonna do a radio talk show host thing now that was our interview with uh, Katie Sparrow up next <laughs> just a couple more words before the episode is over um, yeah so if you like that we, um, we do have an Instagram you can follow at no planet B FSU uh, we have a Twitter that is no planet at no planet B cast um
1: if you're tired of just retweeting trump you know
0: if you're tired of rting big don check <laughs> out check out uh no planet b cast um <laughs> we're on there we do not have linkedin yet but maybe we'll get there at some point oh we should have a discord server
1: we don't have a myspace sorry uh, we
0: don't have a myspace and we're deeply sorry for that um but yeah so check us out on twitter we usually have uh reference documents for all the stuff we've talked about in these interviews if you're interested in that and uh, we interact a lot with our listeners and uh, people we listen to so yeah check those out and uh, have a good rest of your day or night have a good morning <laughs> hey wait I have an idea have a good morning Daniel I hope we have one person listening named Daniel that's assuming
1: okay yeah I was trying to figure out where you were going about, but... <laughs> <laughs>
0: alright see y'all later (laughs) see you on the internet